Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today in the show, we have Mark Millen. Mark is a graduate of UMass, where he was a three-time All-American and a two-time captain. After college, he played in the NLL with New York, Baltimore, Syracuse, and Philadelphia, where he was part of the 2001 NLL championship team. He was a two-time gold medal winner for Team USA, once in 1994, where he was named MVP of the Games, and again in 1998. He also won an MLL championship in 2003 with the Baltimore Bayhawks. And in 2009, he was inducted into the National Lacrosse Hall of Fame. Mark and I got a chance to talk about a lot of things on this show, like using video to improve, leadership, learning from others, technique and fundamentals, and much more. Here's my interview with Mark Millen. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to get to catch up, but let's get started like I always do. How'd you get started playing lacrosse? So it's kind of a funny and unique story. Um, we, uh, we're in a neighborhood, and you know everyone says the same thing for older guys. Like Lacrosse obviously wasn't mainstream, but mm-hmm. growing up on Long Island, I grew up in Huntington, and there were some players, some, some young guys in our neighborhood that had played. And um, me and my brother, uh, I have a brother that played, Tony, that played on the USA team, went to mm-hmm. Towson. Uh, we played together on the 94 team. Anyway, um, we were just kind of intrigued by it. and We were both playing pretty serious baseball at the time. Huh. And we saw these, these dudes in the neighborhood with sticks, and we were kind of like, cool, man, let's check this out. We didn't know much about it. So we told our parents about it, and my dad was a teacher at Syosset High School, and uh, he must have done some digging and ended up John Pappas, who's kind of a legendary Long Island coach and yeah. um, was the lacrosse coach at Syosset at the time. He's like, oh, you got two young boys? Cool, I'll get them some sticks, and, you know, and, and we'll go from there, and I, I guarantee they'll like it. So for some weird reason, he brings home two uh, defensive you know, defensive length six for us. Right. And so now me and my brother are like, what the heck are these things? Like the only guys in the neighborhood only have uh <laughs> short sticks. So we went in the garage and, and cut them in half. Hmm. And both my parents were teachers living on kind of modest salaries and stuff. And he's like, Oh my God, what are you doing? You, you <laughs> idiots just cut this stick in half that I just got for you. Right. And he had no clue. Cause he didn't play lacrosse. So yeah, right. that's kind of got us our, that kind of got us our start and huh. started going to some camps and just falling in love with the game from there. Right. And how old were you when this happened? So I was probably like eight. My brother was 10. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, and, and you started to say this, you, you said you played baseball, but what other sports did you play while you were growing up? So I was into like, I, I did everything. I was really seriously into baseball. Um, I was really into like BMX biking and, and like uh, freestyle, like riding on ramps and stuff. Hmm. And then for team sports, you know, played basketball, played football in like middle school and high school. Um, but I wasn't like all in on all the other sports, like our neighborhood. We just, we just played sports all day, right? mostly into, into baseball. And then I played kind of like rack and, you know, a little bit of football, a little basketball, and then was definitely into BMX as well. Right. And so do you remember at what point did you start thinking, hey, lacrosse is something that I want to take more seriously. This might be the thing that I might want to play at the next level. Yeah. So after, shortly after the, uh, the cutting of the, the shaft incident, um, <laughs> we then went to a lacrosse camp at Portledge School. Mm-hmm. I forget. I think it's in um, Locust Valley, maybe. 
And um, there was like a bunch of USA players there. I remember, um, I'm trying to think of, of who was there, but um, it was just a cool experience. And like Brendan Schneck, who was a, a big USA player at the time, yeah. played at Hopkins, was there. And um, we just kind of, you know, so, so, you know, fell in love with the sport from there. Right. And started playing a little more seriously and then kind of evolved a little bit out of baseball. And so I was, by that time, I was probably like close to 10 um, and really started falling in love with it. Right. So do you remember who were some of the idols that you looked up to? So I, I loved, uh, you know, lacrosse just was not mainstream. You, you had one time a year, even back then, right. lacrosse was on TV. So the finals were on, the final four games were on ESPN and, um Hopkins was kind of the team back then and so I loved I loved Hopkins and uh Craig Boubier was number nine for Hopkins and Mm -hmm. and Brian Wood number 15 for Hopkins were kind of my two favorite players at the time I ended up I chose the number nine partly for Craig Boubier and then partly for Greg Nettles who was my kind of idol in baseball Hmm. and uh but I Boubier was like six four six five and I didn't see myself being you know, that big and Brian Wood was a little smaller. So Brian Wood was kind of the guy I watched. And right. uh, I just remember having this, this VHS tape of those, um, those, you know, I think it was like the 1987 or 86 finals. And I must've watched the game a couple hundred times. And right. from there I started going out and really trying to emulate the things I was seeing Brian Wood do hmm. on, uh, on TV. Right. So, so, and so I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a coach really. I didn't have mm-hmm. a dad who played. I wasn't playing like super competitive lacrosse right mm-hmm. at that moment. So I, I kind of taught myself a little bit from watching Brian Wood play. Right. Yeah. So can you talk about that a little more? What did that look like? I saw that you said that you would try to emulate the players that you saw in VHS. Talk a little bit more about what that looked like. Yeah, um, we had a goal. We ended up as we started to fall in love with the sport. We uh, we got a, the uh, the the quarter pipe I used to ride on my bike got mm-hmm. got moved out, and we put a lacrosse goal in the backyard. And huh. I would just I would just kind of watch you know a given uh, segment or a given move by these Hopkins players, and then go in the backyard and literally try to duplicate it like from the mm-hmm. same. I remember there was like a pretty cool like underhanded shot Brian Wood took and I would just go into the spot on the field where he took that and try to duplicate it or watch him come off the end line and how he picked up the ball and stuff what's really interesting is and this is carried over it's carried over I've seen this with my own sons um I have I have a 15 year old son that's you know pretty good player and people have said he looks like you Hmm. um and then one of my USA teammates uh, Mike Morrill his son plays at Yale now, and I think he looks like his dad. And uh, But I, to make a long story short, over time, a bunch of people have said, man, you kind of look like Brian Wood. And I was like, yeah, there's a reason why. That, <laughs> that um, is, yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, it, it's, I hear this story over and over again, and, it, and it's something that I relate to, too, is I had the, I had the 1993 UNC uh, versus Syracuse national championship game. And I just watched that over and over and over again and did the exact same thing that you're talking about where I'd see a play that I liked. And then I would literally pause the tape, run outside in the backyard and try to do it and then come back in and, you know, watch another play and then go back out and do that over and over again. Um, it's funny. no doubt. It's, yeah. It's almost a blessing in disguise that, that we were able to have those experiences. And I, I know with my own boys, like, Sometimes I feel like they're watching so much lacrosse now, mm-hmm. and that's great. I love that lacrosse is on TV. It's going to grow the game. But for them, from a learning tool, watching just game after game after game, I'm not sure that has the same educational um, ability as a, as a kid who's watching like the same game over and over and just keeps picking up on the, the uh, nuances. Right. Yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm curious about that. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think you think like they're just getting numb to watching so much lacrosse that they're not paying attention to maybe the, the three or four best plays in the game? Yeah. And it's, it's probably a little bit anecdotal. I don't have any, um, right. you know, any, uh, any, any metrics to say that's for sure. But I just think, you know, when you're watching a given game and you just kind of really just diving in so hard to the details and then right. just practicing those exact moves. If you watch six games on a weekend, like which, which movie are you practicing? Right. And then yeah. 
versus watching the same game over and over and just keep picking up on the moves. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. everybody learns. Yeah. I mean, everyone learns differently. Right. So like some, some kids may benefit from watching multiple games. I don't know. I know I did from watching right. the same games. Right. Yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like from watching, from watching all different types of lacrosse, you're going to develop your lacrosse IQ better. But I, I do agree with your point that it's going to lead to, less kids focusing less on you know one or two really key moves and just like doing those over and over and over and over again um because you learn so much from that um but uh but i'm curious you know outside of emulating players moves what were some of the other things that you did to get better as a lacrosse player um yeah i mean those obviously playing um one of the things i kind of like that like casey powell is doing a little bit is and U.S. lacrosse is kind of, I think, on board with this, is the notion of, like, not always playing such just competitive, like, real lacrosse games and just mm-hmm. playing in the yard. We used to have these guys I spoke about before, these neighbor neighborhood guys. We used to have a – there was, like, a um, a little swing off a tree, and there was a tire buried, and, and um, I guess, to sit on and, and swing off of. Mm-hmm. And we used to use that as the goal, um, nice. that half-buried tire. Yeah. And so, you know, just playing like nonsense pickup games and then obviously going to some camps a little bit and then just falling in love with the sport mm-hmm. and and these guys, just all those things combined and the, the passion I had for it kind of early on just right. helped me help me get better. Right, right. Um, so let's let's move on to a little bit of your college days. What made you decide on UMass? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And, and just because UMass is not as mainstream as Syracuse or Hopkins or Maryland or Duke, um, a lot of people have asked me that. And for me, I was getting recruited by, you know, a bunch of the I, – I was pretty close to going to Syracuse. I really liked Carolina. Um, I liked Maryland. I was getting recruited by all those schools. I ended up going up to UMass, and um, my recruiting trip was pretty pretty profound. I just – you know, the, the culture on the team, the guys that I was around on the team, there was a guy, Jim McAlevey, who's a Long Island legend, kind of a mm-hmm. uh, more obscure name in the sport, but he was as good a player as I've ever played with. And mm. I hung with him a lot. He was a little older on my recruiting trip. And there was just a really special culture and vibe. And I ended up going to a game and the, the home field at UMass is Garber Field. And it's really unique and special. And, um, and then uh, Dick Garber, who was there, I guess when he was recruiting me, he was probably in like his 34th year. And uh, he was just a legend. And he was a real father figure. And he uh, just had a really profound effect on, on me as a young man. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and then I kind of saw the team. I, I did some research and was watching the team. I think my junior year, they lost to Hopkins in the corner. And, um, and that was either my junior or senior year. So I felt like it was a program that hadn't reached the final four and was definitely on the rise. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, you know, you combine the location of the school and the school and the culture on the team and uh, Coach Garber and a program I thought was on the rise. I just thought it was going to be a no-brainer. Right. Um, so I loved it. It was a great – it was an awesome place to go to school. I absolutely loved it. Definitely fell short of that whole notion of being on the rise and have a chance at a Final Four. Right. But it was a great place to go to school. Right. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk about that, um, you know, that Final Four piece. But one thing that I've heard a few times from you is that, you know, you you were big time into BMX bike biking. Um, you know, I keep hearing the phrase, it wasn't mainstream. Was that one of the things that drew you to UMass that this wasn't exactly, you know, this wasn't a Hopkins, it wasn't a Syracuse? This is a little bit below the radar. I want to see if I can bring it to that next level. Yes, for sure. And I wouldn't say like that was my sticking point. Like I wasn't a high school kid and saying to myself, like, I want to go help a team get to the final four for the first time. But as I started to go through all of the factors in making a decision on a school, you know, that was one of them. You know, I'd seen these teams in the final four for so long. And I was like, man, it would be pretty cool to, I love this place now. And, or I'm falling in love with it with, with the coach and the culture and all these things. And I was like, man, if I could help take them to a final four, which I think they're heading towards, right. that would be pretty exciting and pretty unique. So right. definitely. Gotcha. So when you arrived on campus for that, for that first semester, did you feel like it was a fit right away or were there any transition issues? 
Um, you know, interestingly, like I, I think a lot of, and I have guided young, young men and uh, that are on the way to college. Um, it, it wasn't a fit right away just cause I was a little homesick. It had nothing to do with the school or the program. Right. Um, I, I remember calling my parents kind of right away and being like, I think I made a mistake. I think I want to call Hofstra and maybe go to Hofstra. Huh. And my parents, you know, were great and, and really, you know, both school teachers and just kind of said, let's, you know, if you want to go to Hofstra, great, but you're, you know, let's, let's just give this some, a little bit of time and hmm. just hang in there. And once the homesickness had gone away and I got around the guys and got more comfortable, it, it definitely was a fit right away. Right. Right. And so why do you think you were a little, why do you think you were a little homesick? Was that one of the first times that you had been away for, you had been away from home for so long? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, generally, you know, most, that's most kids first time, like away from home for a period. Um, right. and that was the case for me, but I was also kind of just like a, a little bit of a, um, I wasn't a mama's boy, but by any means, but like, you know, I wasn't always into like the whole, you know, sleepovers. I hadn't been to a ton of sleepaway camps, you know, right. so it, it really kind of was my first time for an extended period. I just, I guess I had some anxiety. Gotcha. Um, but you know, it did, it went away pretty quickly. I'm talking, these experiences were in the first week or two and right. got really comfortable pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so when you are talking to younger kids who are about to go away, or maybe even some kids that are currently, you know, going through some tra transition issues, what do you tell them? How do you, how do you recommend that they get through that initial hump? Yeah. I mean, it's just simply patience, you know, and, and to expect, you know, I tell them just expect that it's going to be a little strange and it's going to, you might be a little anxious and you might want to leave. And, but I usually tell them it's, it's, it's extremely likely to go away. Just immerse yourself in your, you know, your early team practices and your right. uh, academics and get out there and be social. And, you know, within a couple of days, you know, I, I think one of the things with like nerves and like going into nerves into games, I, I kind of educate my sons on it and stuff like just expect that it's going to be there. And if then, if then, it, if you expect it to be there, um, then you, you know how to deal with it better. Um, right. but if you're kind of take cut, caught off guard, like, Oh my, like I kind of was, mm -hmm. um, it can feel a little more daunting. Right. So while you're up at school, what were some of the things that you did to continue to improve your game up in college? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, really simple things. Like, I've always used shooting as an ability to create confidence. I don't think you need to get confidence just from having a good game or practice. Mm -hmm. um, so what I did, you know, I just – and I was a little bit of a late bloomer. Like, I wasn't, you know, a top 10 or 15 attack recruit um, in 1989 or whatever. Um, I, I was definitely highly recruited. I played on the Empire team which was kind of the gold standard back then. I don't know if you played on, if the empires were still going when you played. Yeah, I was one of the, one of the last years. I think there were maybe like two or three more years after me. And then it, and then it stopped. Yep. So I was good enough. I made those teams. I was an alternate my first time and I made the team my second time. So that was pretty solid, but you know, I was no, by no means like that guy they had, everyone had to have. So um, I was a little bit of a late bloomer by the, from my like senior year in high school through my freshman year, I had just gotten so much, I don't want to say bigger cause I was, am not big, but mm -hmm. I just, I probably grew like another half inch and I just got so much stronger and faster. Right. And I, and I just kept falling more in love with the game and wanting to be, you know, wanting to, to, to be as good as I could, like as much as I ever had. And so I would, really work hard after practices and stay after. And, you know, we practice for whatever, an hour and a half, two hours every day. And then I would stay for another 45 minutes to an hour and just, just shoot. Right. And I would find time to shoot. And again, I use shooting all the way up through my, my pro career just to develop confidence. If I go out there, if I go down to the St. Paul school in Baltimore, when I'm playing for the Bayhawks during the day, and I'm moving well and I'm popping corners and my stick feels great. I just feel really good going into the game. Hmm. So I use, I use a lot of shooting as just a, a way to develop confidence and, and technique as well. Right. Right. So is it just about putting in the reps? Is that what you think helps build your confidence? Well, 
you know, the way I teach now, and I kind of realized even back then I understood this, not to the same level of, of fundamentals and technique that I know about today, but I was, I was understanding the, the, how important technique and fundamentals were um, even back then. So I would try to, like one of the things that kind of drives me crazy with um, lacrosse nowadays is people will say, like, yeah, just get out on the wall, man. You just got to get on the wall for like an hour. And if you think about it, if you can visualize a really ugly throw, if a kid's throwing very ugly and he's doing that for two hours, reinforcing that ugly throw, it's probably hurting you. Right. So I understood that when I was shooting, I was shooting. It wasn't all about reps. It was about technique plus reps. Hmm. Gotcha. Um, So was if, if it was about technique, technique plus reps. Did you usually shoot around with somebody else that would watch you, like maybe an assistant coach or anything like that? How, how did you make sure that you were shooting with good technique? Well, I, I was always, you know, visually, I've, I've always been a visual learner. And so when I, um, even back to that, when I was nine, 10 years old, 11 years old, watching Brian Wood, I would teach myself. So I would always have, if there was coaches available to flip me balls, coaches would help. Sometimes a teammate would stay out there. Uh, I wouldn't use teammates to to help with the technique, obviously, but right. I just kind of had in my mind's eye, and that's why right. I was able to replicate the the stuff I watched on TV. I would ha- I would have the ability to have it in my mind's eye, and then right um, kind of work through it on the field. Right, right. I even uh, when I was in high school, I even went so far where my dad would videotape me, which is embarrassing to say now, but it's absolutely it's so so valuable. I feel like you can learn if you were to videotape yourself and watch yourself for like 10 minutes, I feel like that's worth an hour or two of training just to make sure that your technique is on point. Well, Joe, I couldn't agree more. So one of the things, every year you get older and wiser, um, about 10 years ago, I had, I, I, you get better as a teacher and mm-hmm. you get smarter and more intelligent, but uh, other sports have guided me. Uh, in my teaching abilities and you're, you're a hundred percent right. But one of the sports that's really helped me is golf. And first of all, in golf, you, you can't just go out and hire some like college golfer and be like, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do lessons with him. Right. Um, you you gotta be like, you have to have be certified by the PGA tour. Lacrosse is so weird like that. Like, Oh, I'm going out with my son. Joey's going out and doing some lessons with Bob at Notre Dame as if he's like a good teacher of the game. Right. But anyway, <laughs> The other thing that the other thing that has has guided me is you can't do a golf lesson without the use of video. Right. And the reason that is, especially in shooting, is there's so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. Your hands, your shoulders. How far are your hands from your body? What do your hands look like on the release? What do your how's your footwork? How do you catch the ball? And same thing, you know, if you look at a golf swing, how fast and how, there's so many things that are important to the golf swing. So I agree using video to teach and to help guide you as a young player and as a, you know, whatever pro player is, is really important. It's probably not done enough in lacrosse. Right. And especially with, I mean, now you can do it on your phone where, I mean, like I was lugging around a, uh, a giant camera. I a hundred percent agree. I think it makes all the difference in the world. Um, and it's so much easier to do nowadays. Um, so one other thing that I, that I wanted to talk to you about is uh, one of the things that I tried to copy from you was your split dodge. And I, and I remember seeing an article on Inside Lacrosse about one of the ways that you developed it. Uh, and I couldn't remember if it was um, something that Inside Lacrosse asked you to do or if it was something that you did, you know, when you were in high school or in college. So I wanted to see, could you talk a little bit about how you worked on your split dodge, how you developed that? Yeah. So first of all, you know, it's, it's, it's so humbling. Um, you know, one thing you get out of this sport, you know, you don't get millions of dollars and, you know, you don't get the riches, but you know, when you hear of young players, um, that have, you know, learned part of their game as I did from like Brian Wood, it's a great feeling. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that I can pinpoint a time and place where that split split dodge came from. I don't have a specific player at UMass or I know that I really wasn't using that, like, you know, that type of downhill speed dodging, Mm -hmm. uh, in, in high school. So it's just something that I can't pinpoint the exact moment, but I just, it's probably one of those things that was in my mind's eye. I had seen it somewhere else and I just Mm -hmm. started working on it, but 
it really changed my game. Uh, just the ability to go downhill and, and just kind of get, you know, just get, run right at the guy and just make a quick move. Right. Um, was so, you know, was especially against like these big, strong D one defenders. Um, mm-hmm. so I can't tell you exactly where it came from, but, uh, right. it's cool that you looked at it and used it. So, so here's, here's what I remember from the, the inside lacrosse article was, uh, it was, um, you know, using, using football lines, um, using the lines on a football field. And what you did was you just tried to jump off one leg to the other line and just literally back and forth. You just zigzagged across the field, just trying to push off each leg just to build that strength. And I, I, you know, I don't know if it was mental or whatever, but I felt like, you know, when I did that, I mean, I did it all the way up through college. When I did that, it made me such a better split dodger, um, which was like my main move. Um, so it absolutely, yep. absolutely helped out. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I recall using that um, and talking to inside lacrosse back in the day about that. Right. It really is just creating that load. Yeah. Um, and, and I've kind of evolved my teaching of a split dodge too over time. Hmm. Uh, I've been doing it for quite a long time and I've just used some like more simple tools to help kids understand um, kind of the footwork. But to this day, you know, the most important part of the split really is, and there's a lot of important parts to the split. Your hands are crucial and your mm-hmm. timing and your footwork, but the load, as you pop off that inside leg and drive, the load right. is important. So all the way back to the same thing you're saying about what the inside lacrosse article showed. Yeah, absolutely. It helped so much. Um, so one of the things I said we'd come back to you is, you know, as I was doing my research, I saw... Uh, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, was that one of the reasons why you wanted to go to UMass was because you liked the idea that UMass hadn't been to a Final Four yet. And, it, you know, it might be an opportunity for you to be on a team that is the first one to get there. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, like you mentioned, you didn't get a chance to do that. So I'm just curious, um, you know, when you look back, maybe your regret isn't the right word, but do do you, do you wish that maybe you would have gotten that final four experience at like, you know, at Syracuse or North Carolina or, or one of those schools? I do. I absolutely do. I'd be, you know, really lying if I, if I said that this experience up there was so good that I don't care about the final four. Um, there's been some, some stuff written over the last couple of weeks about kind of my mentorship of Grant Amen, yeah. uh, the Penn state attackman who has just dominated this year. And, we've gotten, we're really close and we've had a, a relationship for 10 years that stems back to him coming through my camps. And, um, just recently, you know, before the final four, I just told him, make sure, you know, obviously you want to win, but I said, really take this in. Like, this is, right. this is the pinnacle. This is the Mecca. There's never going to be anything yeah. better than this. And for me, I, I was going to final Rutgers and Maryland So it wasn't about the NFL stadium. It was just the pageantry of Memorial day weekend. And so for sure, like I really regret and I don't regret not, I regret not being able to somehow lead my team Mm -hmm. at UMass there. I don't regret, you you know, I don't have a school. If I would have gone to Cuse, I probably would have gone to three or four, but I don't really regret not going to Syracuse. I just regret, you know, the inability to get there and play on that stage. Right. Right. Makes sense. Um, so, so last question about your, uh, about your college career. Um, you know, I'm always curious about this looking back on your college career. What is, what is one thing that you wish you had done differently that you wish you, you know, if you can go back to your freshman year self and give them one piece of advice, what would it be? So I think probably just leadership. Um, you know, there was, I, I, you know, I wasn't, um, I wanted to win so badly. I don't think I was as good a leader back then as, as I, you know, maybe evolved into later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just seemed like our teams would, whether it was some off field distractions or, you know, end of year distractions. Um, and, and listen, you know, this is just my kind of burden. I mean, there's a hundred things that the, the players could have been more focused and the, you know, there's so many factors. So my lack of, you know, my, my own thoughts on my leadership are probably stronger than they really are. I don't know how much mm-hmm. I really could have done, but um, maybe just, you know, trying to lead a little better and, and mm-hmm. keep the guys focused. I feel like our teams, 
it was so cold up there and you know all of a sudden the weather would break into like april and may and i feel like there would be some distractions and right obviously lacrosse was a little it was a little different back then distractions were more accepted by the coaching staff sort of and not really accepted no one wanted the guys to be out doing the wrong thing but it just was a different culture uh, than it is now but I just feel like there were some distractions and maybe towards like playoff time, we went to the playoffs three years uh, of my four mm-hmm. and we lost in the first round each time. Right. And uh, so th- that was, that was pretty disappointing. And I would say the biggest thing I-, I worked really hard to get better and I had a lot of fun and could I have led a little bit more? Maybe that would be my, uh, my only regret. Right. And when you say, when you say leadership, do you mean leading by example or what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah. So probably, um, vocal, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe grabbing a group of guys cause it's hard to lead on your own. Right. Um, definitely leading by example was there mm-hmm. and I, I just worked really hard and, and I was, I was a captain my um, junior and senior year. Right. And so I was a leader. I was a captain two years, but could there have been, could I have, you know, and I didn't really know how to do this. I talked to coach Canella about this recently and they do a lot of work on, uh, uh, on creating leaders and understanding, right. teaching guys how to be leaders. So again, I'm probably being pretty hard on myself. Um, but could I have gotten some more guys together and, and push people a little harder, um, to, to make better decisions and stay engaged and play more as a team or what, you know, so right. I would say looking back that, and, and I'm, you know, that's kind of my off the cuff thought process. I don't know if, right. if there's anything else I could find with a lot of deliberation, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Right. Yeah. I feel like uh, I, you know, I was talking to somebody about what my answer to this question would be about a week or two ago. And I feel like everybody's their own toughest critic. <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? I was saying things to that yep. person, you know, and they were like, listen, man, you're being way harder on yourself than you need to be. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely know. I absolutely know where you're coming from. Um, so yep. let's talk about, you know, once you, once you graduate, you're drafted into the NLL, you know, there was no MLL at that point. Talk about how you learned the indoor game. Was that your first time playing indoor? It absolutely was. Yeah. I mean, I had never done anything like it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I really, it, I just embraced it and I studied it and I watched film and then I sought out the guys that were the best guys. You know, I, I sought out Gary gate, uh, over time, you know, he and I got closer and we got to be friends and played on teams. But at this time, you know, in the early days and I didn't, not like from my first day or first week, but, you know, throughout my first couple of years, I would seek out guys on, you know, shooting and faking and, right. um, just, you know, how, how you play the game and how you're successful and playing off ball and pick and roll. And so I would say I embraced it. I embraced like trying to be a box player, um, right away rather than like, you know, sweeping, you know, sweeping with your stick to the outside. And I kind of understood from the beginning how, what I needed to do through um, studying the game and, and picking the brain of some of the veteran players. Right. That's something that's so underrated is picking the brain of people who are, you know, who do something better than you. Right. I mean, I, I went to, I played at UVA with Connor Gill, who was maybe one of the greatest feeders of all time. And I should have been pulling him aside every day and being like, how did you make that look? How did you set up that play? You know, like that would have helped out so much. I feel like that's an underrated skill. No doubt. But it's, and it's easier. It's sometimes easier to do that in hindsight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you're going to school, you don't want to kind of make yourself feel like, you know, inferior or whatever the reasons are. I think people don't do it as much as they should, but yeah, it's really valuable. Right. For sure. So what was, what were some of the hardest things to learn? If you remember when you were starting out? I would say, you know, finishing was tough because mm-hmm. I always, I was kind of the kind of finisher that like would shoot, you know, you know, more from outside, not right in front of the net. And, but in box lacrosse, obviously, as you get closer to the goal, you're, you're going to need to make fakes. So, mm-hmm. um, my, my st- stick skills were not really conducive. Like I was just like a beaten potatoes, like 
catch the ball. I see a big six by six, find some spot, use quick right. hands and bury it. So, um, you know, that took me some time. Uh, the pick and roll game, because I wasn't like a huge basketball player. In basketball, I would play, you know, more more pickup, never played like varsity basketball. So, like, I wasn't mm. super familiar with the pick and roll game. And then just learning how to get beat up and still play. Right. Um, and so those, those were some of the, the major things. Right. And so how did you feel like those skills that you picked up, uh, how did they help your outdoor game? Well, I'll never forget the the feeling you, you go from playing, you know, being really successful in college lacrosse and then boom, you're in the NLL mm-hmm. and you're not really thinking about the field game. But um, after my first NLL season, I was playing with Long Island Hofstra lacrosse club. And uh, man, I just noticed like, immediately how much better of a player I was. Hmm. So I mean, I still run, or not still, I run box lacrosse programs here in Baltimore, and I tell people all the time, and they don't really always want to listen, but that game can really change, you know, can really change and make you better. I mean, just the the simple concept of just having to shoot on a small goal if you're an offensive player, and then you're released onto the field, and it's a big goal. It's like having a a donut on your bat warming up in baseball, right? You take Mm -hmm. the donut off the bat's lighter, so it made me a better player and, and uh, for sure playing off ball a little bit better. Um, right. So it was really valuable for that. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I wish I had played when I was younger was indoor, specifically for what you just said, right? There are so many skill sets that you wouldn't learn if you didn't play indoor, right? That translates so well to the outdoor game. Yeah. And I will say, look, it does make you better. It's not a mandate, right? Like it's not people sometimes overblow this whole, you know, like Grant Amen did not grow up playing. And I don't know about Pat Spencer, um, but here's two of the best attackmen I've seen in a long time. And Mm -hmm. there's so many good attackmen. And I guarantee you all of them didn't grow up with a box background. So for sure, it's not a mandate for young players, but it Mm -hmm. definitely can help. Right. I think the uh, the analogy to it's like, you know, having a donut on on your baseball bat, um, you know, shooting at a at a much smaller net is uh, that's a that's a great, great comparison. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm keeping my eye on the clock. I want to make sure I get you out of here on time. Um, but one thing that I want to ask you about was, again, while I was doing my research, you uh, you talked about the 1998 World Championship Finals, which was one of those films, uh, one of those VHS tapes that I watched over and over again. And uh, I mean, that's just one of the greatest lacrosse games that have ever been played. It's unbelievable. Um, and so one thing that you said about that game was that you just remembered how calm you remained in that moment, being on that field. Um, can you talk about why specifically that's what you remember and maybe how you, how did you develop that? I mean, that must have been the biggest stage that you were on in such a tight game. How did you remain calm? Yeah. So, I mean, really, when you think back at that, there was, there was no reason to be calm. I think one of the things that hurt <laughs> right. that team a little bit was that, you know, we hadn't lost the U S team hadn't lost since 1978. Right. And lacrosse is starting to pop. This was one of the biggest lacrosse events in, you know, in the world, in, in, in the history up through that time. I mean, bringing the games to the U.S. for the first time since 82, and we had lost, and mm-hmm. Team Canada had the Gates, and Grant, and Marichak, and Tavares, and there was a lot of pressure on us, and I think some of it was self-imposed, and you know, because there was no crazy media, but I think the tightness of, well, for sure, I mean, I think the score was like 11-2 at one point, right. and then we really got, we really got tight, and it, it was to your point, it definitely will go down or should go down in history. It's, it's, it's one of the best games that was ever played. I mean, just looking at the the players that were in it and what the score was and the way the score finished as far as my, um, I just was calm. I I don't know. I mean, I was feeling really, um, I felt great in that game. I felt Mm -hmm. fast. Uh, my stick was in great shape. I mean, I felt really good about my stick, my stick skills. And I also just, didn't want to lose. So like, I don't even know that I can pinpoint exactly why sometimes there's games you play that there's, you know, 
almost like a higher power that's just guiding you. And, I, and right. I'm not really sure what that is exactly, but I just had a lot of confidence and poise. And I, I did, I knew I didn't want to lose. I mean, coach Tierney, I think has told the story. I, I don't want to quote him, you know, too specifically because I don't know if he'd tell the story exactly the same way, but you know, he, w- there was an overtime timeout. He kind of looked around and I think he felt like a bunch of guys were, their eyes were starting to get a little big. And mm-hmm. I mean, not all the guys, of course, but I just, I was just confident. I wanted the ball and uh, I wanted, I wanted to make a play for us. And I just felt really calm during those moments. Right. That's, it really is an unbelievable game. I really recommend anybody listening who can go back and watch that game. It, it, it is, it's unbelievable. I mean, it was, uh, I just remember, I remember being in high school and like literally watching it on TV and almost sweating. <laughs> it was, uh, it was unbelievable. Um, it was, I mean, one of the last things I'll say about that game is like, I, you know, I, I may throw that game in on, on YouTube or I have the discs or whatever. I throw it in every year or two or whatever. And you almost can't believe what the score is at that point. And then, you know, it's going to go, you know, go down uh, yeah. to the wire and, and we really almost lost in regulation. And it's almost, it's almost unbelievable to this day when I watch it, that, that the score got to where it was. I'm pretty sure it was 11 too. Yeah. And again, I think there's, there's a massive number of hall of famers in that game. I mean, just right. unbelievable. The D Tomasos and the Volkers and the Shacks and Ryan Wade, just guy after guy is in the hall of fame now. So it's, yeah. it's a pretty special game. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, the one thing that I remember too, is that was, uh, you know, I mean, you had always, obviously everybody knew the gates growing up. Um, and I'd always seen highlight reels of them, but I've never really seen a full game of them playing. And, uh, you know, I mean, there was you, you on the team. There was, you know, Casey Powell, uh, just, a, uh, you, you know, you said the Wades, like so many players that I was excited to see. And then, you know, USA is beating Canada 11 to 2. And I just remember Gary Gate. Just that was the first time that I was like, oh, wow, I I, now I totally get why that guy is considered one of the greats of all time. I mean, he just just like almost put Team Canada on his shoulders. It was it was unbelievable. I never I never seen anything like it. Um, Such a great game. Paul Paul in that game, Paul Gate in that game was pretty, pretty spectacular as well. I mean, he canned a bunch of outside shots. And it's one of those things. I, I mean, I hate to use an analogy crash but you know an accident an accident right has to have a bunch of things happen right uh, wrong at the same time usually and and that's what it was i mean we we kind of stopped playing i feel like we got up to that lead and all the pressure came off and and they and they stepped up they were making plays we were flat so it was it was epic and i was just so emotional after that game because i was like oh my god like you just the 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 emotions just leave you you're like thank goodness Right. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, if we're going to, we're going to lose, they ended up losing a couple of years later, but I don't think we wanted to lose on our soil at that time. Yeah. I'm sure that's where a lot of the pressure came from for, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so let's, uh, let's talk a a few questions, um, you know, for any of the younger players that might be listening. Um, so besides, you know, the basic, like going to the wall and things like that, what's, what's one thing that you would recommend young offensive players do, to improve their game? Well, I mean, in my opinion, and I know we're, you know, it's just a, it's just a, a question, but I mean, you, in order to do it right, you probably need like three or four things. I mean, the one mm-hmm. thing is you just got to get, you got to get the stick skills. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've done over time, is so much, so much better at teaching catching to me. If there's one skill you can get good at, like the one skill you have to have, you got to be a really good catcher because it sets up the next play. If you catch right. well and you're near the goal and open, you can shoot right away. If you have to catch poorly and, you know, like sometimes it can slow you down, you get checked. So right. if you catch well in a certain spot, you can dodge right away. You can hit the next guy right away. So stick skills and really learning the absolute fundamentals of state skills if you can learn that then then you're going to be in really good shape you're going to have a good chance to be good and then i would say like just learning how to play the game with iq but if you're looking for one thing it to me it's just all about catching specifically and stick skills and how do you work on how do you work on getting better at catching the ball 
Well, the rebounder and the wall, I mean, my, the way I teach catching is, you know, you got your hands really need to be vertical mm-hmm. and you just, you can't have people talk about catching an egg and catching with soft hands. And it's shocking when I travel the country doing camps, how many kids have some kind of little, there's a, I guess there's a natural tendency to reach out and want to reach for the ball. And you watch the great catchers, the guys that just are John Grant. Like you just watch John. I could watch John Grant catch the ball right. for an hour. <laughs> it's just it's just so different, right? Like, right. and so you know, any way you can receive a ball off a wall or off of a parent throwing you the ball or your friend, but just having no snatching, no hand action, no cradling into it, just dead hands, just let the ball drop in, and then you can make the next play. Right. You know, one of the one of the best things that I did when I was in high school was in my backyard, I had a, I had a brick wall where when you would throw the ball against the brick wall, the ball would come off just a little bit different so that it wasn't a true bounce. You know, you'd have to, you'd have to learn to catching bad passes. You'd have to get used to catching bad passes. And that helped me so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, so again, I'm keeping my eye on the clock. I want, I want to talk a little bit about, um, Millen lacrosse. Um, so first off, where can people go? to learn more about Millen lacrosse, lacrosse camps. So just millenlacrosse.com. And it's pretty cool this summer. I know you spent a summer doing some camps with me. Um, and it was great to have you. And, uh, this is our 25th summer running camps, which is, mm-hmm. it's just really cool because in a small business, any small business you run, it, it's hard to have that kind of longevity. Right. And uh, if you look back at the guys I've competed with, so many of them are in and out. And it's just a testament to the amount of effort and energy and details I put into everything we do and I do. And um, over that time, you know, anybody who's listening that has seen any of our marketing, I hate to be repetitive, but close to 30,000 boys have come through my camps. Mm-hmm. And it's just unbelievable to constantly hear um who's who's the kid in virginia who just lit it up um laviano yeah um i I, someone just said he came through my camps and it's just amazing Thirty thousand people is a lot of people in a small sport so just the amount of people have come through and and we've really for this this for all these years we've stayed true to the fact that we're all about instruction and fundamentals Mm -hmm. and when you stay true to that and you have some you know really detailed you know, the ways you run it with organization, uh, that's what's kept us going. The camps that throw the balls out and are happy to get a hundred kids out and make a couple bucks and the kids don't get anything out of it. Those go by the wayside pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember milling lacrosse camps sort of being like the gold standard for lacrosse camps when I was, you know, in high school and college. And, and when I did coach, um, you know, the camps, I had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I mean, I definitely know the kids had a lot of fun, so, um, I absolutely recommend it. Um, and I saw, uh, you know, I saw online that you mentioned something about, you know, the mill and lacrosse curriculum. Can you, do you want to talk about that just a little bit about what that is and what that would look like for, you know, players who are going to come to your camps? Yeah. I mean, to, to dive into the full curriculum, we probably don't have enough time. It's on the website, but mm-hmm. it's, it's really all about, we, we try to inspire the boys to be more passionate about the game because that will, you know, drive their own practice sessions. And then the biggest thing we do is, and then, so we, we do that through having fun and playing games and stuff. And then it's all about fundamentals, like super detailed fundamentals. And we kind of have a saying, like the biggest thing you, we want you to do when you leave here, you're not going to be an exponential player, better player overnight here and coming to camp Mm -hmm. for four days. We want you to understand all the concepts behind what we're teaching so that you can go back home and kind of be your own teacher a little bit. So if we're teaching a split dodge, just don't, don't worry about getting that much better at it today at camp, but understand how we're doing this and the process we're using to teach it. And then you go home and take that and use those skills at home to almost teach yourself. So it's it's a unique environment now though it's uh kids are playing on they're playing so much club lacrosse now and it's so expensive to play club lacrosse unfortunately kids aren't going to camp enough mm-hmm. and i say that not as a as a, a a business operator but it's just good for kids it's, it's a great healthy environment to have fun and meet new kids right. and be social and then obviously work on the uh the core fundamental parts of the game Right. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, you know, obviously kids nowadays, they, they, they sort of need to do the travel for sure. 
Um, but, you know, no matter what, it's just a reality that they're not going to be getting as many touches as they would, you know, if they're working on their own or if they're going to camp. Um, to, like you said, like build that foundational level that they can take out and continue to improve across the year. No doubt. And when you're playing on a club team, and club is great, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but you, you must be, you're forced to work on so much more team stuff. You're out there with your team, so, right? So you got to right. do rides and clears and man up and man down and team offense, team defense. You got to do some ground balls. Like how much time is there going to be to work on your, your release pattern on your shot or your split right. dodge? There's just not. Mm-hmm. It's not there. So, yep. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, listen, Mark, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, but there's been one question that I've asked everybody who's come on the show. Uh, what are three things everyone should be doing every day to get better at whatever it is they do? It doesn't have to just be lacrosse. So first of all, Joe, I appreciate you having me on. It was, uh, it was great to uh, I watched you play in Virginia and really enjoyed watching you play and then had you at camps and I appreciate you inviting me on. I would say, you know, the biggest thing anybody can do to be successful is first of all, you got to get your hands dirty. You cannot be, you cannot be afraid to work extremely, extremely hard. And to this day, you know, I work my butt off at everything I do. Mm-hmm. The next thing is it's a lot easier to do that in when, when whatever it is you're getting good at. So whether it's your job or lacrosse or catching or whatever it is, you got to be passionate about it. You got to like it or it Mm -hmm. sure helps to like it and be passionate about it. Um, and then, uh, I guess the last thing, I'm not really sure I put this in the right order, but I think we talked about this before. Don't be afraid to do research on something, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's asking somebody. So I would say if there's a new skill or, you're trying to get better at, at a job or whatever, do the research, find out a ton about what other people are doing in that job. Be right. passionate about it. Be passionate about it. Cause you're going to need to, you're going to want to be doing it a lot. And then just be, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Absolutely. Um, Mark, listen, like I said, this was great. It was really great to catch up. Thanks for coming on. Thanks Joe. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a traveler club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential, all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free, it's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.